Welcome to the My Chicago Podcast. I'm Carrie Rubin, your host, and I really enjoyed chatting with today's entrepreneur, Marin Rosenberg from Escape Artistry. She's really funny, has a great storyteller, and her theater background definitely shines through in the story of her taking over Escape Artistry in 2015 and what all is involved in creating the six different escape rooms located at 1579 and 1342 North Milwaukee Avenue in Bucktown. I love her passion and appreciation for the arts and the artists that make Chicago so great. Ready to hear her tell the tale of escape artistry? Here it is. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm excited to talk to you and learn a little bit more about escape artistry. So yeah, start at the beginning. Tell me where it came from. uh, I started escape artistry in 2015. I had initially, uh, quite by accident, become the first manager and executive producer of any escape room in Chicago. Um, And I ended up with that job because Navy Pier didn't hire me for my expected holiday performance gig. And I was rushing really late to, you know, try to find a holiday gig. I have a performance background. And so I mostly do clowning and and theater and acting. And I I needed something for the holiday season. And I saw this post about... uh, you know, we're looking for people who are going to be zombies and, you know, but it was definitely written as like a job application, not as mm-hmm. like a traditional audition post. So it's like, give us three reasons why you think you'd be great. And I'm sitting, <laughs> I'm, having an awesome a glass zombie. Of, <laughs> I'm sitting having a glass of bourbon at 2am, like feeling grumpy and sorry for myself scrolling through audition posts. And so I sent this really snarky email being like, I'm a vegetarian. So even if I'm a method actor, I won't eat your guests. And that's why I would be a great zombie. How dare you? I went to a conservatory. Um, The guy calls me back the next day and he's like, you're hysterical. And um, we ended up talking and I was again on the hustle. So I was like, oh, do you need do you need help moving furniture in? Do you guys can be happy to? Oh, you want to pay me how much? Yes, that would be fine because going from nonprofit arts money to corporate money is very nice. Yeah. And so. So we ended up talking and uh, quite quickly, I ended up, you know, I was the first person he hired and then uh, I ended up being the manager and then he hired me to help open up other locations for him. About a year and a half, we were about to have the like, look guy, I, I think you need to pay me more for my job. And about two days before we were supposed to have that conversation, he gives me a call and he's like, Marin, I can't afford to keep you and I don't want to pay unemployment. Oh my God. Well, those are kind of the two options. He's like, no, I have a better idea. I'm going to give you seed money. You can start your own company and we'll be, you know, sister companies and uh, we'll share, you know, we'll share marketing information if you want. And I just want to see you succeed because I know you could do this on your own. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, that, that was not an option I was entertaining, but okay. So quite by accident. I ended up with seed money to start my own company, and I worked with uh, my design partner, who, uh, and we had this idea to do an escape room on a CTA train. So we built that out, and that was over uh, the summer of 2015. Uh, we learned a lot as we went on. The city of Chicago had no idea what an escape room was, and so we're just like. Yeah, no, I'm. We'll just make you get the hard business license. Like, I, 
I appreciate that, you know, you, you just want to be careful, but this is a business license for a 750 seat theater. My capacity is 25 people. Mm. And they're like, well, you said the word tickets. And I was like, how about performing arts venue? They're like, where's the stage? I'm like, it's kind of all encompassing. <laughs> and they're like, mm. no, you still need to get that bis- the, the, the public place of amusement business license. I, I, like, I suspect that was very expensive. Yes, it's the same thing you get if you are a strip club or a bar that trip covers char- like, you know, you charge tickets at the door. I yeah. said the word tickets oh, and suddenly the word tickets. Mistake. Yes, fa- I had had I but known. Um, I didn't realize that if I sold reservations, that could have, you know, flown under the radar. But I said the word tickets. So I um so we we were planning to open in the summer, but it's a three month process minimum to get this public place of amusement business license. And um, so we ended up doing it that way. You know, they're like, please give us a list of the last six years of employment. I'm like, I'm an actor. Are you 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 really want every single person who's employed me? I had 20 W like 1099s just last year. Oh my like, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All last oh, man. My hand, I submitted to them a hysterical, I think it was, I think it was a 17 page document, single spaced. Cause you know, I, I am a bit of a rule follower. And if someone tells me to do something, I do it properly. You are my um, people, <laughs> I feel uh, but it, uh, definitely was, uh, they're like, Oh, we didn't mean this. I'm like, well, that's what you told me you needed. That's what you asked so for. Here it is. Um, like, okay, well, great. They sort of flipped through it and were like, okay, cool. It's like no, no mysterious shipping company with, you know, <laughs> international imports LLC or whatever. <laughs> um, it, it became abundantly clear that they were just really trying to make sure that like, you know, my shady uncle Tony hadn't like given me money to, you know, open a business be- under my name because Tony's no longer allowed to do business in Chicago. And, you know, That's they so funny. wanted to make sure I wasn't making money on like, you know, booze or booze or fast women. Um, <laughs> so it was, a, that was a fun part of the learning curve. Uh, we opened the escape room in November of 2015. And uh, then in April of 2016, got approached by some other investors who already had a space just down the street from us. And we're like, Hmm, we really like your escape rooms and we wanted to open some escape rooms. So rather than opening as competition, would you like uh, us to open up under your brand and, cool. you know, help you expand? And I was like, Oh, this sounds interesting. Cool. Um, uh, and of course though, you know, it, becomes like a six-month project to build out the space and put the architects and go through all the process. Um, And so we ended up opening our second location uh, in January of 2017. So we went from having one escape room to having, first we had three new ones. So we went from four and then very quickly got five and six open Um, and sort of grew very, very quickly. and uh, that was also the year the market saturated. So we went from having, you know, three escape room companies in the city to having seven. Oof. And we went from, so it was a definitely an interesting time. And uh, so we went from supply and demand to, uh, to having to differentiate. And uh, sort of at the same time, there was that gradual change of, I'm sorry, what is an escape room to, 
oh, I've been to your escape room in St. Louis. You know, actually, that's a different company where it's not all one company Mm. that does every escape room to, oh, okay, yes, this is why you should come to our escape room in Chicago rather than the other seven options that you have. So we we ended up not having the best uh, relationship with our investors. and so I, in April of 2019, I bought them out because our, I think just the way we, we looked at business and the way we uh, wanted to operate was very different. And part of it is also, I am physically here and they were not, they were in North Carolina. So made it, made it tricky, but also I, and I'm not exaggerating you know, everyone who works with our company is an artist in some respect, be it they're, they're a chef or a musician or, but a lot of us have a theater background. Mm-hmm. And one of the investors literally was try, was quoting Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross in a meeting, trying to inspire people with respect to marketing. You're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and we all just kind of looked and we're like, is he being ironic? Is this funny? And so we, we, we all just kind of uniformly decided to let the, the moment pass he then throws another quote into an email to me. I'm going to let this pass. Okay. He throws another quote into the, this is the, you know, always ABC, always be closing oh, God. for closers. Oh God. Um, so <laughs> after the, the third time I send a very politely worded message, you know, email just being like, just so you know, the majority of us, you know, who are in management positions here and who are, you know, our, our theater, have theater backgrounds. And these quotes are actually from a David Mamet play called Glengarry Glen Ross, which is a scathing review of corporate sales culture in the United States. So while I understand you're trying to say this in a motivational capacity, we, we, we can't hear it outside of the context of that play. So I, I don't think those are really the best quotes to use when you're trying to, you know, inspire the, the sales mm-hmm. team. The email I got back from him was, you know, hi, Marin. I'm very familiar with the movie, but I do not agree with your interpretation of it. I can't wait to get a beer and uh, discuss the differences in the interpretive arts. Isn't it? That's, you know, isn't that why they're exciting? And I went, okay. <laughs> so you were able to buy him out? I was able to be buy done him with out. that. That's good. And uh, yeah, <laughs> sounds like it was it. not a good, not a good match. <laughs> not, not a good, not a good fit. And, uh, you know, and when I started getting other people involved, you know, like mediators or attorneys, it was very, I would say, uh, you know, it was validating to me that I was like, okay, this guy is like a, a lot, right? It's, is it not, I'm not just being like hypersensitive. Sure. I, um, and one of the things that had ended up happening was when we first started working together, there was this gentleman who was sort of, you know, died, you know, I'm a proud capitalist. And then there's me who's more or less like on the opposite side of that, mm-hmm. you know, very, very liberal. And then there was another couple who was in the middle, but the couple in the middle, once they had start, once we had started this project, bought a new house, got pregnant with their first baby and they also had other day jobs and both of their day jobs got crazy. So (laughs) they went away and then it was just, you know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross quoter and, (laughs) you know, you know, just destroy the system, 
you know, we'll, we'll all take care of each other. Uh-huh. Ideally, the business should be a cooperative and everyone should, you know, own equal shares. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So I ended up having to buy them out. And then at the, uh, I was at one point even going to be uh, selling the business on to uh, to somebody else who was in the industry. And two days before closing, there was this kooky little thing called COVID. So we, um, you know, he was like, well, let's just maybe wait to put the money in escrow. I was like, oh, we can put the money in escrow now. And I'll just, you know, let it I was like, no, no, let's, let's wait. So um, it has been interesting in the past year because as we're sort of open and closing and open and close, mm-hmm. um, you know, one escape rooms kind of got left out of a lot of thought processes because we're like okay are we a private venue because we're not a movie theater oh yeah yeah the guidance was probably so muddy yeah and um you know and it's sort of like we're you know in many ways we're a lot safer than going to the grocery store but you have to go to the grocery store Mm -hmm. but do you really need to hold us to the same you know do you really need to include us with the with the movie theaters couldn't you you know we can do things privately. We can literally like change out everything in the room. We can be very accurate with, you know, tracing. Um, so we did, uh, we did try to push to be included in phase three, but we were actually at least noted in phase four. So we knew, okay, for sure we can be open. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that could be open in phase three was small gatherings. And uh, because our sets are easy, uh, easy to use and very immersive, I've been really fortunate to be able to uh, have a lot of folks renting out our spaces for like photo shoots and video shoots. Oh, cool. Um, so we've heard, we've been able to unintentionally diversify, but, you know, get a secondary source of revenue once, you know, and hopefully once the, you know, escape room industry is really sort of back where it's at, because we're seeing a number of, uh, you know, folks coming back for their own, you know, locals who want to go out and do something fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, some tourists are starting to slowly trickle back in, mm-hmm. but a lot of the bread and butter was, you know, during the weekday, the corporate team building groups ah. and they're all still virtual. Right. So also all of us quickly scrambled to try to figure out how we can do our escape rooms virtually. And I we did figure I, it out. Yeah, you did do that, right? I feel mm-hmm. like I saw an email. We did figure it out. Uh, it was, however, yeah. just it. It takes three times the three times the staff. I can only run one of them at a time, mm. um, and and I feel like it's. I haven't figured out a way to really truly get the audience to understand that this is not an escape room that is virtual. It's like I need you to think of this as a different experience. Yeah, because if you're comparing it to an escape room that you do live, you will be disappointed. There's yeah, just no. I mean, it's yeah. Like, I can't. I can't see that experience translate to, to mm-hmm. virtual directly because so mm-hmm. you're like looking for things you're trying to piece things together and you can't do that if you yeah. only have like the screen yeah so what we have when we do it is we have someone you know we have the screen who becomes their own character they're the floating little drone robot you have someone on camera who kind of runs around and does stuff we have earpieces so we can hear given you know we can hear the verbal directions given and then we also have another person who's monitoring and running the zoom so that when it's like hey can we take a closer look at that weird object then the full Uh. screen can have it so I feel good about the product that we were able to create but at the same point it's it's a lot of work and 
most of the people who are coming to us are looking for, they're like, oh, I really miss escape rooms. Not like, hey, I want a cool pseudo live video game experience. Yeah. Um, so we, and again, we have been able to, to do some, some corporate team building through there. And we have also been able to, you know, help families spend time together, doing something together. They would normally, you know, be traveling and see each other over the holidays. And at the very least they can like participate in an activity together or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're now just sort of starting to learn what the new normal looks like. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that was both, how did the business come about and a little bit of our timeline. That's really, yeah, that's a, that was a really cool story. I, I enjoyed the, all the twists and turns along the way and like, you know, COVID threw everybody a wrench, right? Yeah. So that's great that you're able to pivot and, and keep the business going. Are you still looking to divest it or do you think you'll keep going yourself? You know, it really, it, it's, it really depends because one of the reasons why uh, I was interested in finding someone to take over, uh, was because I had been offered another job as the co-artistic director of a theater company called Uprising Theater. And we focus at Uprising Theater on, uh, making, uh, making sure there are places that, uh, amplify the stories of Palestinians as well as other communities Hmm. who are marginalized. So the kind of Venn diagram of, Things are so I I technically had now two full-time jobs because I am the co-artistic director of Uprising Theater. Because when I was thinking I could sell my business, I was able to accept that job. Mm-hmm. So now I kind of have two full-time jobs. Um uh and uh but we also again as a theater can't produce live stuff yet. So it has been a little bit weird uh mm-hmm. just sort of Again, once again, pivoting, trying to figure out what else we can do, what else we can offer, doing readings on Zoom or doing just sort of more activism, organizing things. Uh, and I will say that at least, you know, any any organization or any company that I end up being in is going to be fairly community oriented. So mm-hmm. be it, you know, uh, escape artistry, uh, you know, providing low cost or free tickets for uh, Chicago public schools or uh, uprising theater, organizing a blood drive, or, you know, uh, we were able to distribute over 20,000 disposable masks and PPE uh, along with face shields to communities that were, you know, sort of recognized as hot spots and hardest hit and had the least amount of access to, uh, to PPE. Mm -hmm. So you know, kind of, it's, you know, thankfully as a, as a performing artist, I, I am a little more nimble when it comes to like, Oh, the thing broke, but the show must go on. (laughs) So, uh, so that I have felt quite fortunate, uh, fortunate and and having an active imagination, you know, doesn't make me feel quite so stuck. Yeah. Well, you've definitely, um, have been able to pivot and keep yourself very busy. It sounds like over the past year, wearing all those different hats and the activism is really admirable. Um, I'd love for you to, one of the, the, the things I was curious to find out about is I'd love if you could share how you come up with your escape room. So we did, my family did the train 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we, instead of giving people, our family physical gifts, we gift an experience to them and we do something different every year. And we did the train, um, a couple of Christmases ago and it was so fun. My daughter even started creating her own, uh, escape rooms at our house. That's rad. Yeah. But she's like, well, I don't like, how do we come up with the clues? So I'm so curious as to how you, how you design the, yeah. the escapes. So, um, my design partner and I, uh, when we were designing the rail car, we kind of uh, went in tandem. We both thought about like what puzzles would be cool or what puzzles would be fun, but also we come up with the environment and sort of the backstory, mm-hmm. and then we make the puzzles fit the storyline. Um, so if you were to come and play some of our other rooms, everything we do is Chicago themed. So we'll send you time traveling to the past, present, or future of Chicago. Um, but very obviously, it does mean there are some limitations, as in if you're at you know, in the detective's office in the 1930s, you're not going to have a laptop. Mm -hmm. And in, you know, the pirate's dungeon, you know, you might have a lot of locks that are, you know, dials with wood where you can see that, you know, when you open the crate, like, oh, it's, you know, very immediately mechanical. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I would say is we generally, we try to pick out the story first and we try to figure out what story I feel like it's very lazy storytelling. A lot of escape rooms, they're like, there's a mad scientist and there's a <laughs> mysterious series of clues and puzzles and riddles and you have to find the elixir and escape. But why do I have to find the elixir? And why was why did they put a series of clues and puzzles and riddles in, in place? If the elixir is so important and you know this is so dangerous, why would they do that? Mm-hmm. So, um, so for example, we have... Uh, I'll, I'll use the rail car for an, as an example, cause you've been in it. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I had had this idea about like sort of the sci-fi theme of like, what if we lived in a future where no one was able to sleep and, you know, we plugged ourselves in and nanobots and, you know, if you don't sleep, you don't dream. And what about creativity? And so we sort of developed this world and then we developed this sort of anti-hero hero, this like hacker character who's, you know, unplugged himself. And uh, then when you get on the train, he's, um, you know, at first the the train is set up as this kind of like snarky, I'm the smarter teenager than you, you know, I'm going to put all these puzzles and clues and riddles in place to, oh, oh, you're actually figuring them out. Oh, you're solving them. You seem awake like me. Oh no, (laughs) you're the wrong kind of people. I didn't want to do this to you guys. I am so sorry. Let me try to help you. Um, which then also helps facilitate the difference between, you know, this antagonistic character and then suddenly, but let me give you a clue so you can help, you know, you can figure out that humans of history puzzle mm-hmm. and then figuring out ways to sort of give your two alternative endings, whether they, you know, successfully complete all the puzzles and tasks or if they, they don't and they run out of time. So, and I guess with our, with our specific background in, in theater and film, we sort of tend to gravitate towards genres. So that mm-hmm. one was sort of like our action adventure, mm-hmm. V for Vendetta meets Speed. Mm-hmm. We have another one, which is uh, like a 1980s B horror movie scenario. So everything is super like cheesy and goofy and over the top. We have a, um, you know, the detectives off uh, the detective room, which is like very film noir and, the intro video takes a lot longer because <laughs> everyone's talking slower. <laughs> um, and we have, you know, a silent film that, you know, sort of showcases how you do the pirate's dungeon. So, but we ca- kind of tried to pick, you know, pick those different genres to help really 
feel like they have the have a full and I think that's what helps also with the immersive qualities mm-hmm. the other thing that's um we try to find some wow moments or some things that are just like really damn cool mm-hmm. uh to sort of pepper in between the like hmm, let me sit down and figure out this logic puzzle or like mm-hmm. if this color is the if if two whites together equal eight then white must equal four mm-hmm. so if white equals four the red and the black and the yellow must equal hmm let me see if I can't mm-hmm. figure this out I would say as far as the puzzle design, uh, we do definitely try to make sure that each of our rooms has different types of puzzles for the different types of intelligence and thinking, because it gets very boring if you're a very math person and, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have the language person and it was like, oh, well, these are all math puzzles. Go off, mm-hmm. you know, my, enjoy. I'll, I'll be here if some riddle pops up. Um, so we do try to have something that's kinesthetic, something that's sort of logic based, something that's a little bit more math based, something that's kind of language based, something that may have to do with, you know, perspectives or visualizing. Um, and then that way, one, when you're sort of talking about corporate team building, you can access and discuss the different the different qualities that people have and that they can bring to the team. But it also then means that regardless of who comes into the room. There's going to be some stuff that's intuitive, some stuff that's challenging, and there'll be kind of something for everybody to do mm-hmm. rather than, you know, I, I I don't enjoy the escape rooms as much that sort of don't give me a good reason why. And also where I'm like, oh, this was very clearly designed by someone who's six feet tall. <laughs> everything is too short. Like I, I'm five foot eight. I'm not short, but it's like everything is just a little too tall for me. Mm-hmm. Would you at least put a step stool in the room? or um, you know, so I really, we, we do try to take into con- consideration a lot what our audience is, is hoping for. Yeah. And I guess the final thing that we've had to, you know, think about and figure out is, so we have these rooms and they're supposed to accommodate corporate team building groups, raunchy bachelorette parties, 12-year-old birthdays, family gatherings, awkward, awkward, like second date. <laughs> How do we make something that all of those different types of groups will like. And so what we do is we lean really heavy into the storytelling and the immersive stuff. And then we have our actors or our performers be able to like gauge it and change. You know, if, if it's the bachelorette party, you can pepper in the, that's what she said jokes, but quite obviously you don't want to have those for the 12 year old birthday. Mm, party. Mm-hmm. So you, you put the flexiness in the person who's delivering the escape room and then the puzzles are generally, you know, boom, boom, boom. One, two, three. Uh, We do also try to create, you know, uh, like the easy mode version. There's, for example, a pretty complicated uh, like logic deduction puzzle in our pirates dungeon. And, you know, it involves a set of playing cards. So in the easy mode when you're having again not the MIT graduate school folks coming in but the you know nanny with the 10-year-old the 6-year-old and you know the 4-year-old who's really not doing anything other than just you know trying not to put things in their mouth and you know <laughs> had to come um what you do for them is you you give them something that really it's still a puzzle but it's way stepped down so that that way the per, you know the young people who were for this case, the focus of the room are able to, you know, do it themselves. 
So that's a very long-winded answer of how do I design the puzzles? We think about making sure there's a variety. We think about who we're designing the puzzles for, what environment they live in, and how do they sort of help facilitate the story? Mm-hmm. And um, and then honestly, and then it's just about like thinking up things that are sort of fun or interesting. And it's fascinating because oftentimes the things that we design that we think are super, you know, dead give like, oh, this is just kind of that like easy gimme puzzle that, you know, will just like help people feel good and, you know, give them that little dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I solved the thing and I got to mm-hmm. open a lock mm-hmm. and people will stare at it and stare <laughs> at it. And then the thing that we thought was going to be just like really challenging and was going to take at least 10 minutes, you know, people are like able to do it in a minute. Mm-hmm. And, so you know, interesting. so yeah, I would, you know, that's, that's a way, way more complicated and way, like you put a, a, a ton of thought in, into it mm-hmm. clearly. Yeah, yeah. It's about, it's about designing and curating the experience and making it so that it feels consistent, but also that it's flexible enough that you can, you know, address the needs because, you know, somebody will, you know, write on their questionnaire, like, oh, we're really smart. We want to do the hardest escape room, but we've never done an escape room before. <laughs> okay, okay, great. <laughs> cool. So you this will, this will be feel fun. smart, but you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Let me give you a lot of advice before <laughs> your escape starts. So you kind of know what's going on <laughs> and develop a communication <clears throat> regime with you just so you can ask me questions if you very smart person want to run something by me because you know that specific group is going to go like don't give me clues I don't want any help at all but they also really want to win because what they do want to do is just confirm that they confirm are that they're very smart they yes of course yes, exactly. <laughs> so how long does it take did it take you to say put together the rail car experience uh so we think I'd say it was about a month worth of meetings to design both the puzzles and the structure and then another month for actually, you know, acquiring the pieces. Cause for example, specifically for the rail car, it took us extra time to acquire all the pieces because we built it all out of recycled repurposed materials, Cool, um, which is something that my design partner feels very passionately about. And, you know, thankfully the rest of the world is kind of catching up with her. Um, uh, so we, you know, sourced all the materials and built that in about a month. And then I would say it takes another two weeks, depending on how many people you have to come in where you just suddenly discover like, oh man, that needs to be like reinforced with metal that, that wooden thing mm. is broken four times. Like I am tired of getting splinters <laughs> or, oh, you know, maybe, maybe we can put this other little piece because people are not making the connection that this key goes with this lock. They keep thinking that it goes to the other lock. Mm. Oh, but maybe if we put a, a purple keychain on it and we, and the lock is purple, then they'll, you know, get that, you know, put together bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd say there's definitely, you know, a solid two weeks to another month of just kind of tweaks, at least for theater, you would do like previews, mm-hmm. you know, you just make sure once you have it in front of an audience, figure out what's working or, you know, you're like, Oh God, you know, I, <laughs> for whatever reason, people keep thinking that they're supposed to try to punch through that very crispy <laughs> looking piece of paper. We'll rough it up a little bit. So it doesn't look like you're supposed to punch through the light box or whatever. <laughs> people get very creative. I bet. I bet. So we've covered a ton of ground. Is there any other yeah. things you'd like to share about escape artistry? Man, um, no, I just say it's 
part of the reason that I started escape artistry was I got really tired of, you know, my friends and colleagues who were exceptionally talented in their specific field, then having to choose between, you know, the, their livelihood or comfort, like, and being able to pursue their artistic passion. Um, you know, some folks have a visual arts interest and they're really excited to be graphic designer and there's loads of opportunities for there. Some people really just like want to play punk rock guitar and that's great, but it also means that you're probably, unless you are, you know, the exceptionally talented and also just lucky, you know, being in the right place at the right time where the opportunity meets the, you know, meets the talent, um, that, you know, you're, you're being told, oh, okay, well, do you really want to keep your bartending job? Because if you go on tour with the misfits and open for them for two weeks, I'm going to need to find someone else to take your shift and they're not going to want to give you your shift back. So part of the reason I started it was because I felt like, you know, artists especially have so much to offer a business and then we could come in knowing, okay, great. When you're here, you're going to be here. You're going to be focused and you're going to deliver an amazing product. But then if you need to go on tour with Mary Poppins for three months, we get it. And we think that's awesome. And then when you're back from tour, you can come back. So I have folks who, you know, haven't worked here for three months, you know, them being like, yeah, my gig's finished and I'll be back in June. And yeah, it means that you like, you have to update stuff. But I, I do think that I guess as far as, you know, sort of big picture stuff, I, I wish we had more ways to be supportive of, of artists and creatives and not make it seem like, oh, this is just some sort of hobby that you have or mm. make them feel, you know, like what they, what they feel truly passionate about is, is not worthy of time or money or like, oh, but you love your job. So you don't mind doing it for free. Right. Mm. You know, we're doing it for the experience, um, you know, and so my, one of our, you know, hopes is that we can continue to empower artists to be passionate about what it is that they are passionate about. And, you know, I think artists gives so much to this city and are yes. so much a part of, you know, the sort of advertised quirky raw around the edges, improv, you know, jazz, blues, Chicago thing and yet we're still expecting artists to work three jobs so that they can afford to you know shoot pay for their own music video mm -hmm. or um you know well you can live in housing that's safe or you can live in housing that you can afford mm -hmm. um so i i do wish that the business community would would find ways to value artists more even if it's not on a even if it's not on a like profit margin mm -hmm. line, because I think that there's a lot of other metrics one can apply. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's really it. That's a sort of our, our battle cry. I love um, that. You know, the arts the and creativity is, um, definitely add a lot of flavor to the city. So I wholeheartedly agree with you. Okay. So in closing, are there any businesses you would like to nominate? Let me see. So businesses that I think are pretty great. So my aforementioned design partner also works with her girlfriends at, a, uh, they have a production company called Gold Point Studios and they do animation 
and uh, video production. They do post-production. Um, so they're pretty great. So I do also have, uh, from like a very different place, uh, my friend Adriana is a second generation uh, family owned business. They're called Osorio Metals. Hmm. Uh, and they do a lot of really cool, great stuff. They, um, you know, and they're just, they're really good people. And it's such an amazing sort of story, you know, of, you know, dad walked across the border with a box of cookies and that was it. And now he's got, you know, loads of people working for him and they're, you know, taking care of the family and, you know, his daughters now run the business and, uh, yeah, I will also say that I know a bunch of, uh, independent artists who kind of run their own businesses. I think another person who would definitely be cool for you to talk to is, uh, the woman who did a lot of our visual arts design. Her name is Nina, uh, well, as an artist, she's Nina Danger, D apostrophe mm-hmm. A-N-G-E-R. Mm-hmm. And she has um, a silhouette cutting business cool. where she will cut live silhouettes and uh, also does a bunch of other really cool uh, things. She's doing a, uh, a video, uh, video uh, TV series, I guess, online TV series right now with Atlas Obscura called Charm School, where she'll, you know, talk about like the art of lace making or uh, you know, I think like making your own makeup or stuff, you'll, you'll definitely have a lovely conversation with, with Grace and Melissa, uh, from Gold Point Studios or with Nina, uh, or with Adriana from Osorio Metals. Very cool. I love this conversation. Thank you so much for being here, Marin. This is a great story and you're such a lovely person. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Carrie. Such an interesting story, wasn't it? Be sure to visit mychicagopodcast.com forward slash escape dash artistry to get more information about escape artistry and see the post escape photo of my family completing the rail car room. We're right in the middle of saying choo choo when the picture was taken, so we all have really goofy expressions on our faces. On that page, you can also find links to Marin's nominated businesses, and also you can visit the Chicago My Chicago Podcast social media pages on Instagram and Facebook at My Chicago Podcast. Now that the city is fully open, be sure to visit Marin and Escape Artistry team at 1579 and 1342 North Milwaukee Avenue in Bucktown or at escape-artistry.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.